for truly to really consider the implications of us showing up this morning. We realize just how unworthy we are to be here, how good God is in faithfulness towards us. This morning, let us continue in our study in the book of Joshua, fueled by faith. And this morning, we will be in Joshua, the ninth chapter. So turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Joshua, the ninth chapter. And as you do, let me just say welcome to all of our guests. It is indeed a privilege and an honor to have you in the house of worship one more time. To all of the Forest family, grateful that God's grace has kept you, protected you, provided for you, and blessed you this entire week. May we not take for granted the little things in life. May we not take for granted the refrigerators full of food. May we not take for granted the gas that we're able to purchase to put in our vehicles. May we not take for granted running water and toilets that flush. May we not take for granted any of these things for every good and perfect gift is from the Father. May we be grateful to him today as we enter into worship. Also, as we prepare our hearts to step into this text this morning. Uh, for our guests, we, uh, we love our guests. We will make sure our guests are comfortable. So throughout the sermon this morning, you will see scriptures placed upon the screen for you to follow along. Now, Forrest family, uh, that is for our guests. And I, I would encourage you to bring your Bibles with you each and every week as, as we enter in and open up the word of God and as he breaks forth the bread of life for us. So bring your Bibles each week. Our screen are for our guests. Um, I don't want to be legalistic or dogmatic, but if, if possible, bring a, a, a bound Bible. Just because if you are easily distracted, like myself, and you get notifications as you are scrolling to the text, you, you will find yourself at that text and not the text. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, uh, but that, uh, again, that's, that's, that's like for people like me. I'm easily distracted. But if you're not, don't even worry about it. Whatever you have this morning, open up with me in the word of God to Joshua the ninth chapter. And may we all stand for the reading of God's word. This is a lengthy passage of scripture. So if you are unable to stand, no worries. Just stand with us in your heart as we read Joshua, the ninth chapter, beginning with verse 1. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks with their donkeys. 
and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn out uh, patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Ah, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day. We set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Kerfira, Beethra, and Kiriath, Jerem. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leader said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said to them. Joshua summoned them and said to them, why did you deceive us, saying, we are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of waters for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to, to, and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now, behold, we are in your hand. What seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to place a tag upon this text. Looks can be 
deceiving. Looks can be deceiving. Let us pray. Father, we come before your mighty throne of grace, and we are unworthy. We're unworthy to stand before you because we are sinners. We have rebelled against you. There's no good in us. But Father, even in our sin, you sent Jesus Christ to save and rescue a people who were once lost. You, you have brought us into your marvelous light where we now have a desire to pursue you, to love you, and to hear from you. So, Father, I beg that you will send forth your Holy Spirit. May your power permeate this, in this place. May your spirit move and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you will remove distractions, that Satan will have no foothold, no stronghold in anyone's life right now. But, Father, that we will hear your word and receive it with gladness, not deceiving ourselves, being mere hearers of your word, but that we will become doers of your word, even from this day forth, from now on. Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever fallen for a lie? Ah. If we're really honest with ourselves, we would have to say at some point in our lives, someone has deceived us. Someone has lied and has led us astray, whether intentionally or unintentionally, but at some point we've been fooled. When I think about being deceived, I, I think back to a time in my life, a story I tell about when I was in college, and I was on my way to the bank, and to make a transaction, and I, I got some money out of the bank, and I, I'm walking to my car, and, he, and, and another young man begins to walk up to me, and I'm like, hold up, bro. <laughs> like, you can't just be stepping to people in the parking lot. But, but then he says, no, nah, uh, I work for an audio video company, and I was just out on deliveries. And I am finished all my deliveries, but I found out my boss had, had gave us too many speakers. So I so I was just wondering, uh, would you be interested in buying some speakers? So I'm sitting back like, okay, wait a minute. So I begin to think and pause for a second and look around. I'm like, well, how much? So he goes on to describe how nice these speakers are and that they will, uh, will be $50 to buy this set of speakers. So, you know, me doing the most appropriate thing, at being appalled at how he would defy his boss and sell uh, stolen merchandise, I said, well, uh, you got a deal. And I, so I, I, I gave him the money, and I got these brand new speakers. It was sweet. I take them home, I have my stereo, I, I, I unplug the speakers that were hooked in, and I hook these in. I grab my mixtape. You know those mixtapes used to make by listening to the radio? You just record, put my mixtape in, and start playing, and all of a sudden, I just hear, <laughs> I'm like, nah. So I turn it up, push play, and like, I'm like, oh, man, I've been had. 
I mean, he done, he done tricked me. I said, I've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, run amok. He had cheated me and deceived me out of my money. But you know what, beloved? When I got home, I had to realize that I ain't had no business doing what I was doing in the first place. And the Lord was just getting on me, revealing my heart. But you know what? I was robbed. I was deceived. But though I, I had been robbed of my money, some of you in here today are being robbed of more things significant, of way more significance than dollars. When it comes to being deceived, some of you are, are being robbed of your dignity. You're being robbed of your integrity. You're being robbed of your identity. And you're being robbed of your purity. This is because you have chosen to enter into a dialogue with the enemy. See, you, you may not be re receiving offers for radio speakers, but you're being enticed with riches, popularity, comfort, companionship. See, these are pathways to our affections, and in order for our defenses to be let down and our devotion to Jesus disrupted. See, this is a dangerous world. And what we don't realize, though, is your greatest threat is, is not the carjacker, but being jacked by what is being streamed, downloaded, watched, discussed, and allowed in your home. What we allow in through our eyes and, and in our ears have a profound effect of what we believe and how we will live. See, we may not even realize how we have been tricked, how we have been deceived. And some of the ways that we may know that we have been deceived is when we say things like, what goes on in my home is nobody's business but my own. We may be deceived if we say things like, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. We may be deceived if, if we say things like, I can be a Christian and not a member of a local church. We may be deceived if we cry out, oh, just follow your heart. We may be deceived if our mantra is, oh, just have safe sex. We may be deceived if, if, if we say things like, well, if no one gets hurt and, and, and when it's two consenting people, uh, uh, what they do in their bedroom doesn't matter. We may be deceived if we say things like all religions lead to God, they just take different paths up the mountain. The world philosophies and the world ideologies are, are, are in our face each and every day, and as we consume them, even if we really say we don't believe them, we find ourselves mimicking them like a parrot. I could go on and on, but the reality is deceit is dangerous. And when we open up ourselves to the destructive ideas that this world has, we're asking for trouble. We're asking for brokenness. We're asking for separation from a holy God through sin. 
See, the, the, the intent of deceit is to lead people away from obedience to God. That's the, purpose of, that's the whole purpose of deception. So, so, so face it, just like the leaders of Israel and myself, there's a lot of people in here who have been hoodwinked, bamboozled, run amok, led astray. Because deceit is so dangerous, you must intentionally seek God's direction to prevent being led astray. What you believe to be true will affect the course of your life. Looks can be deceiving. So when we look at this text of scripture before us, let's look in and press in in order it will help us to expose those false ideas and those false understandings that have set themselves up contrary to the word of God. Amen? In the text, chapter 9, Jericho has been defeated. Ai has been defeated. And now the kings of the land, they're not waiting for Israel to come to them. Now they want to bring the fight to Israel. Because of all of, of what's been going on, the name of Israel, the name of Yahweh is being made known through the land. He is coming and he has conquest on his mind. He's wiping out all those who have set up their lives in opposition to God. Those who could care less what God has to say, that we see now they are coming through the land. But, but when we were looking at AI, now remember, Israel was defeated once because of sin. So now this once invincible-looking army, army seems to have a weak spot. So the king said, well, let's just get a big enough army now. And if we pool all our resources and amass a, a great army, surely we can conquer. Surely we can hit them head on and surely we can defeat Israel and stop them from conquest. But we see in the text that the Gibeonites had a different idea of what they needed to be done. The Gibeonites, instead of coming through the front door, they decided to be slick about it. And they had a smooth approach. So when we look at the text, it starts off, what, what we see as, as the Gibeonites are coming up with their plan of how they're going to uh, save their own lives, we see that deception is a dangerous deal. In verses 2 through 7, the Gibeonites come up with a plan. They say, well, what are we going to do? We're not going to attack. We're not going to try to overcome them with force, but we're going to uh, overcome them by being slick. So we're going to act like we're from a far-off land and that we traveled a long way. And then we're going to ask if, if, if we will be accepted as a vassal state. We want to make a treaty. What that means is uh, in, in ancient Near Eastern times, a, a country may come to another country if they did not want to be defeated and say, okay, we will be your servants, we will pay you what you want, but just don't crush us. So they're coming to Joshua, and they're pleading for their lives. They say, don't crush us, we will become your servants, we will give you whatever you want, but just leave us alone. But what's so meticulous about this deceit is that the Gibeonites really know what they're doing. Namely, first of all, the Gibeonites know that God has commanded Israel not to leave 
anyone standing and not to make any covenant with the people in the land of Canaan. In Exodus, he tells them, don't you, don't you make any covenants with the people of this land. You are to wipe them out. So give me a nice day. Know that they're not supposed to make a covenant with, with Israel because of God's word, but this, this is what's sweet. But they do know God's word where it says in Deuteronomy 20. Let's, let's look at this right quick. Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter. Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter, verses, let's, let's start at verse 10 and go through 15. And it says, when you draw near, this is God talking to the Israelites, when you draw near to a, a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it, and if it responds to you peaceably, and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you should put all his males to the sword. But the women and little ones, the livestock and everything else in the city, all is spoiled. You shall take as plunder for yourselves. And you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Now, this is the key right here. This is what the Gibeonites know. Verse, 14, uh, verse 15, thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not cities of the nations here. The Gibeonites know the word of God, and they are uh, scheming by, they, uh, by plotting to make it look like that they're not from the land. If we can just make it look like we're from a far country, then the Israelites, because of what God has said to them, they will make a covenant with us, and we will be saved. Adding to their deceit, we see the, the Gibeonites, as they report to Joshua who they are, they say, we're from a distant land, look at all of our stuff, but not only that, the text tells us, they say, we have heard of your God and how you defeated the kings Sihon and Ah. Why does that even matter? That matters because they, they were actually scared because what had just recently took place in Jericho and Ai. But by referring to a story back in like Deuteronomy, they're able to say, well, that's, that's the latest news we heard about y'all. We weren't close enough to hear about your latest conquest. So they're positioning themselves as we're far off and we've come near. This is a meticulous well thought out of lie. They have put time and effort and thought into, think about this lie. They, they get new sandals and they tear them up, make them look worn out. They bake some bread. They let it sit out, let it get moldy, let it get crusty. They get old wine skin. They, they are putting together a drama in order to play out this scene in front of Joshua, this is meticulous. But beloved, when it comes to deceit, do you realize how meticulous deceit is when it comes for you? Deceit is dangerous because it goes to great lengths to lead you away from the obedience to God. See, deceit doesn't overpower you. Deceit doesn't try to kick in the door on you. Deceit don't, uh, don't, don't run up on you when I take yourself. Deceit is too smart for that. Deceit wants to outthink you. It wants to outsmart you. 
It wants to come in through a side door, uh, one that you wouldn't recognize. What we fail to understand is like, we're dealing with spiritual warfare when it comes to deception. And Satan is the king of deception. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to form the lie. He knows how, how to uh, just turn the lie just right in order to entice you to, and draw you in. And he's very meticulous. And that's why this, the, the text tells us Satan, he disguises himself as the angel of light. See, Satan doesn't tempt you with stuff you don't want. Talking to my students about their need to read, see, and their desire not to read, I said, Satan's not going to tempt you to read. You don't like to read. He's not going to tempt you that way. But he will tempt you to watch TV all day. And he will tempt you to be on your phone all day. Because those are things you like. So when Satan is coming for you, he's not going to come with, uh, uh, with horns and a tail and all ugly. Why? Because you will run away from that. Satan comes with the very thing you love the most. Satan's going to come and, and offer you attention. He's going to come and offer you money. He's going to offer you riches. He's going to offer you fame. He's going to offer you companionship. When Satan is setting up a lie, he, he just watches you. What, what do they like? Where do they like to go? How, how, late, how late do they like to stay out? Satan has a game booked on you and your entire life. He, Satan knows you better than you know yourself, because we lie to ourselves. But Satan knows you better than yourself, so he comes up with these meticulous schemes in order to get you to be disobedient to God. That's what he wants. John 8, 44 tells us that Satan is the father of lies. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tells us, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Why? Why has Satan deceived unbelievers? Why has he put together this elaborate scheme to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Why, why is Satan putting so much effort and work into fooling you and tricking you? In order, he already knows that it's game over for him. He just want to take as many people with him. Satan is so meticulous in his schemes because he hates you and he wants to see you go to hell. He wants to see your life suffer. He wants to see testimonies destroyed. And all in order to diminish the glory of God. Revelation 12 and 9 tells us about Satan. It says, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan. And watch here, the deceiver of the whole world. Satan is busy coming up with lies, coming up with schemes to fool you. To make you take your eye off of Christ and to put your eye on him and yourself and everything else that he, that he has in store. He just wants to take you away from Christ and you being obedient. You think 
those distractions that just come up in your life, just happen to come up at that right time when you was about to pray, when you was about to read from Scripture, when you was about to be obedient, when you, when you was about to choose the right thing, all of a sudden uh, our, our desires and our wants are, are put up in our face and we are faced with a decision, will I choose this or will I choose God? It's interesting in the text how it talks about the Gibeonite, the Gibeonite deception because it talks about how cunning they were. And when I think about that word cunning, I, I, I'm, I'm immediately thinking back to Genesis 3 where it talks about Satan and he comes to, to tempt Eve and the serpent was more cunning. The serpent was slick and he came with a story, he came with a lie to Eve and to say, to make her doubt God's goodness towards her. And, and he says, God's holding out on you. He really doesn't want to give you everything. And through that lie, sin enters into creation. See, sin didn't enter into creation through a military attack. Sin entered into creation through a lie, through deceit, through cunning. This is what's taking place here in the text. Deceit knows some things about you and will use them against you. Deceit uh, will always want to lead you away from God. But praise God that the New Testament is always telling us, do not be deceived. Satan is, is roaming around seeking whom he can devour, whom he can destroy. But Jesus is saying, do not be deceived. Turn with me the. 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. Beginning with verse 9. Watch, watch how this begins. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked to think that you can live a life to your own pleasure, to your own glory, and not expect to get to heaven. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Is this text, are these the only specific sins? No, what this text is doing, these are people who have a posture that opposes God's authority. That's what this is. There's a gambit of things that we can put here, but what the, uh, what the Apostle Paul wants us to see is those who have set up their own, their own God, their own glory, they are being deceived to think that you can do what you want to do, say what you want to say, go where you want to go, and you'll still go to heaven. But Paul, he's pleading with you. He's saying, do not be deceived. Don't think there's not consequences to your actions. Don't think that, that you can be the God of, of your life in this life and expect to have God over your life in the next life. Don't, don't be deceived to think that, that you uh, deserve everyone's affections and not Jesus Christ. Don't, do not be deceived. 
So we see Satan is working through the Gibeonites to come up with this. This is a meticulous scheme. Understand, beloved, Satan has put in place a meticulous scheme to deceive you today. We see in the text, this is a a dangerous deal, but not only is it a dangerous deal, deception makes you face a dangerous decision. In verses 8 through 15, we see the leaders of Israel examining the Gibeonite story. So they're like, who, who are these people? Where they come from? They begin to examine them and ask them questions and, uh, uh, well, where are you from? Now you notice you never got a specific place. Oh, a distant country. Well, why are you here? Well, we, we heard about what happened to Sihon and Og. And, and, and look here. And the, look, at, look at, up, at our bread and look at our shoes. And, and this is our story. So Joshua, they began to look at the story. They began to try to figure out, is this true? See, a lot of times when a story comes in front of us, it, deception has a funny smell to it. Deception has a funny ring to it. You, you, like you hear what's going on, and you're like, that doesn't sound right. There's something going on. So they know something's going on, but what happens? They, they decide to believe the story and go on contrary to God's word and make a covenant with the Gibeonites. This is exactly what Satan wants to do in your life and in my life right now. Make us compromise our allegiance to God's word and decide to do just what God said don't do. Why, Joshua? Why did you believe? Uh, looking at the text, they may have decided to believe because it's just easy. Okay, well, we don't have to go in and we don't have to get our military together. We don't have to march to their city. Like, we ain't got to do nothing. They here not. It's easy. Many times we fall into deception just because it's easy. Whereas the Christian life is, is difficult and it's a, a long journey, uh, uh, oftentimes we see the quick, the, the quick fix, the easy route. So we, we, we choose what's easy, the, uh, the microwave method, the fast food decision. Well, I don't want to wait for marriage to, to start having sex. I'm just going to do it now. I don't want to wait to get my money right to buy it. I'm just going to charge up debt. I don't want to wait. I want it now. We want it easy. Or maybe it's because of the flattery. Over and over again in the text, they're saying, we are your servants. We are your servants. We live to serve you, Joshua. We live to serve Israel, Joshua. How many times have you gotten into trouble because somebody was flattering you? Oh, you look nice today. Oh, you smell so good. What you got on? Oh, you have a beautiful smile. Oh, I love your eyes. What, have you done something to your hair? And we all, oh, oh, me? Really? Say it again. Satan uses flattery to get in, to grab hold of you, 
Because we, we like to be flattered. We like the attention. And Satan just, just, just puts a hook on it. It's, it, 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 it. We have a lot of uh, fishermen, fisherwomen in here. And you know that if you want to catch some fish, you don't just throw a hook with nothing on it. I don't just roll up to the lake with a hook and just like, bite it. But what we do, we go to great lengths to get our bait together, don't we? Oh, see, before I got, see, I'm from Michigan, right? And we just fished with worms in Michigan. I got down here, and I figured out there's a whole nother routine to fix a bait. I mean, you, that you, you get your stuff together, and you set it out a month before you even go fishing. And like, and you like, is that toxic? Like, oh, the, oh, the smell of that. But you know what? It may sm smell awful to us, but the fish like it. And when Satan is baiting the hook, it may look nasty, it may look stank, but he knows what we like, doesn't he? And, and he uses that bait, and he baits the hook, and as soon as we lock down our teeth on it, as soon as we hit accept, as soon as we open the email, as soon as we look at the text, as soon as we turn the station, as soon as we roll over, Satan says, I got you. I got you. He's baiting these hooks. But even through all that, I, I, I believe, just, just me thinking when I think about the text, I believe ultimately Israel failed to this deceit is because they really wanted independence from God. That's what they wanted. They wanted to make their own decisions, no matter how big, how small. They're looking at the decision and saying, well, this, this is not that big a deal. I, I'm sure we can figure it out. And most of the times when we are deceived, it's because we think we can handle it. Satan loves that. Make them think they can handle it. Because when they think they can handle it, they won't consult God. When they think they can handle it, they won't talk to their brother or sister in Christ. When they think they can handle it, they'll just make the decision and end up with the consequences in return. See, Deceit is dangerous because it presents you with false options. Deceit will make you think it's a win-win situation when really it's a win-lose situation. It presents itself like, I got this for you, you got that for me, we both win. But really, the deceit says, I, I got this for you, and all you got is for me, and I'm going to take it all. And that's why we fall victim to sin so much. It, you know what? Deceit reminds me of those emails you get. You know those emails that say, I'm, I, I'm from such and such country. I don't have a bank account set up, but if you send me this, I will make sure you get this in return. And what happens? You don't have to hook everybody. You just have to hook enough people. Because they're looking at this and they say, if I just invest this, then I get this much back? When I was buying those speakers, I was thinking, if I just give them $50, I get this back? That's how Satan hooked you. It makes you think that you're actually getting something in return. Now, I'm not meddling. I'm not no one's business. I'm just giving an example. In modern-day terms, we... Think about things like the lottery. 
if you give me this, just this amount, I give you this in return. If, if you play it straight, box, there's your options. And you'll get this in return. Scratch-offs. If I scratch the right one, if I buy the right one, if I buy enough. In the barbershop, you know, the movie lady come around. How many movies I get for $5? Bet. What Satan does is he knows what we like. So he, he baits us. And, and it doesn't look big, but what he's doing, he wants to get you in a habit of compromising God's word at your will. So if he can make you compromise in little things, eventually he will make you compromise in big things. If he can get you into the habit of, of saying, well, I know what the Bible says, but... If he can consistently get you in the habit of saying, but, then he can get you in the big things. It's a setup. The fisherman, he, he throws it out, and sometimes the fish will snatch the bait off the hook, right? Is the fisherman upset? Nah, because he know more will be coming. And, he, and he, it's a setup. That's how deceit works in our life. But you know what? One of the, the greatest things that we fall for is the fact that we all believe, because of pride, that we deserve more than what we got right now. We believe, fundamentally, that we deserve more. No matter, no matter how God has already blessed you, how he's already provided, how he's already given, we believe that we deserve more, which causes us to pursue well, material satisfaction. It, it causes us to, to run up our credit cards. It causes us to be paying these bills instead of paying our, our, our heat and our electric and our car bill. We rather want a TV and, a, and some new shoes and a car. And, and it causes us to get things out, out, of, out of whack and out of balance. Why? Because we actually think we deserve more than we got. In fact, we're, we're basically saying to God, Lord, you haven't, you haven't been good enough to me. Deceit wants to work on you. Deceit is most effective when we stand the game, but deceit is actually uh, effective when, it, when it, 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 it caused you, it wants you to make the decision right now. Right now. Those telemarketers, they're good at that. They call you, hey, we have this free trip to Hawaii for you. But you got to act now. If we get off the call, you can't call back. You can't look it up. Well, well, ma'am, I need to check with my wife. Oh, but, but you need to do it right now. Well, I, I need to check with my husband. No, no, you can do it right now. Don't wait. You can put it in a way. We just need a deposit. We just need your car number. We ain't going to bill it. We just need the number. Deceit doesn't want you talking to your pastor. 
The seed doesn't want you talking to your brother and sister in Christ. The seed doesn't want you talking to anybody who's going to make it plain and help you discern if it's really right. Look at the leaders. They're, they're, they're talking, and it seems like they're not really working together. Just, they just want to make a decision right now. Why? How, could, how come they can just say, okay, well, we understand where you're from. Just hold on right here. Let us go consult the priest to find out what his thoughts is on it. Some of, some of us, some of you are in situations that you ain't got no business being in, all because you made the decision all by yourself. You didn't have no godly counsel, no godly wisdom, and now you're paying the consequences. But do not be deceived. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us the heart is uh, deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We're facing these situations where we're pumped, we're excited, we want it right now, and our emotions get going. And we make an emotional decision instead of a rational decision. And we get drawn into sin. So sin comes through this deception and destroys our life. So de- deception has dangerous deals and deception has dangerous decisions. But lastly, we see deceptions has a dangerous discovery. Because in verses 16 through 27, we see that the Gibeonites' plan was exposed and Joshua and the leaders find out where they're really from. And the people are saying, well, they're not really from a distant land. We should kill them right now. But Joshua and the leaders are forced to honor their agreement, even begrudgingly, because they want to be faithful to God this time. So this Gibeonite deception is eventually uncovered. But notice how the Gibeonite deception, it brings brokenness upon Israel. It brings brokenness, one, what? First, the leaders failed. Understand, beloved, as, as leaders at Forest Baptist Church, we will fail you. And there will be times where we fail you because we haven't sought God's counsel. Pray for us. Pray that God will give us a deep burden to have our face firmly planted in the scriptures in order to make wise decisions. Pray for us that we won't make decisions based upon practical and rational advice, but supernatural Holy Spirit-infused decisions. Brokenness comes when we see all of a sudden they were a one accord. Now there's disunity in the camp. The, the people mad at the leaders. You know how we do when we get a boss. It don't, it don't matter how many PhDs, masters, whatever the boss got. We sit at our desk like, oh, they stupid. I would have did it like this, and I would have did it like this. You know, that, you know how we do. Don't front. We, they're mad. They didn't make a wise decision. And because of their failure to see God, they're now unable to fulfill their commandment to obedience to God. They have fallen in this area now. They disobeyed. It's too late. But lastly, what 
what we may not think about. Now, Israel, they're stuck with the Gibeonites forever now. The very people that God wanted to get them away from, they're stuck now. They've made a covenant to keep them. Isn't, isn't, isn't that how, how sin works with us? We make a sinful decision, and all of a sudden we stuck with the consequences, like it or not. They're here. They're stuck with us. We can't get rid of them. Can't get around them. They're stuck with us. See, deceit is dangerous because when it's uncovered, brokenness is found. Deception always leads to brokenness. Deceit will always be exposed now or later, but deceit will always bring brokenness. It brings broken hearts. That lie he told you, that lie she told you. Deceit brings broken relationships. It brings broken lives. Satan's primary weapon against believers is deceit. Now, what lie has Satan sown in your heart today? I'm often in groups where I, I hear that familiar quote, uh, that principle of sowing and reaping, and, and the principle is you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, and you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, and you reap a destiny. What lie has Satan sown in your heart that's affecting your entire destiny because you're believing it? But praise God. What does he do for us? He says, do not be deceived. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 8. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will that the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What is he talking about? When you live for yourself, and you make decisions for yourself, and your life is all about yourself, you are sowing to the flesh, and the only things that comes from the flesh is corruption, is death, because we have a sin nature. I will, apart from the grace that Jesus Christ has given me, I will always choose what I like best. And what I like best, according to the scripture, is not good. It's called sin. But, but, do not be deceived to think that you can do what you want to do and not have consequences. But God, in his grace, he said, but when you sow to the Spirit, what, what does he mean? When you begin living for Jesus, when you begin making your decisions based upon what God has said, not what you have said, when you begin to live in a way that brings honor to God and not honor to your homeboys or homegirls or your friends and them, uh, when you begin to live in a way that you are specifically and intentionally thinking about what God has to say in this matter, you will begin to sow to the spirit which brings forth life. Not death. Are you in a situation that is full of chaos and confusion? It, it's just a situation full of brokenness and despair. 
I beg you, no longer sow to the flesh. Sow to the spirit that you may have life. Deception is so dangerous because it wants you to go against what God has said. What are we to do? How do we even stand up against Satan? He's too strong. He's too powerful. The key in this whole passage is right there in verse 14. This is the key for us today. What does it say? So the man took some of their provisions right here, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. The way that we avoid being deceived, the way that we avoid the destruction is that we turn towards Jesus. We seek him quickly, quickly. Time is getting away from us. I want to, looking at the text, looking at the breadth of scripture, I want to give us five practical ways to defeat deception. How, how can you stop being fooled? The first thing we need to do is we need to know God's word. Just know God's word. Jesus says in John 17, 17, he's, talk, he's praying to God, and God the Father, and he says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. The way you expose deception is you bring in truth, and it destroys it. So if our face is in the word of God, then we have truth. We need to know the commands. We need to know the principles of scripture. We need to know well, uh, the word of God in order to have wisdom and discernment. The second practical way that we defeat deception is to pray without ceasing. Just become a person of prayer. Before you spent your tax return, did you pray about it? This is what he's talking about. Don't just take the money I give you. Yeah, you worked and yeah, they held the taxes, but I gave you the job that took the taxes in the first place. So everything I give you is mine. You should be asking me, what, Lord, what, what to do with this? This is a lot of money here. All at once. There's a lot of things that I want. But Lord, what would you have me to do? We need to be in prayer. Thirdly, we need to live in, in community with followers of Jesus. What does that mean? Church folk need to be in your business. That's what that means. Why? Our pride tells us that I got it. I got it. I'm okay. But just like a car, you got blind spots. And the body of Christ provides those extra mirrors to help you see where you're blind. See, if, if you say you got it, then you make Jesus to be a liar. Because he says, uh, if a person say they are without sin, then they are lying. So if we say that we're good, we're saying that we're not sinful, we're saying that Jesus is lying about my need to be in community. 
accountability, encouragement, and strengthen, strengthening comes from living in community with believers. I'm not talking about community with your, with your friends at school. I'm not talking about community with your, just your friends at work. I'm talking about godly people. They don't have to always be right. They ain't to always be preaching Jesus, but they're going to ask you things like, well, okay, I hear what's going on. Well, have you prayed about it? You know, lately I noticed you can't have been uptight. Is there something going on? Can I pray with you, for you? Can we do a Bible study together to understand what God wants us to do in this situation? Fourthly, we need to be a truth teller ourselves. We need to commit to truth no matter what. Stop lying. If you don't want to be deceived, you stop deceiving other people. This is, this is little white lies. This is broken promises. You know you ain't going out the house later on today. Stop lying and say you're going out the house and going over their house. You ain't. You, as soon as you get on the couch, you ain't. Just say, I ain't coming. Stop lying. This includes fabrication, exaggeration. That fish was this big. I caught 25. But this, this, is, this, this is bold-faced lies, too. When you stand in front of your pastor and say, everything's good, ain't nothing wrong with us, our marriage is good. I don't need no help, I don't need prayer. Your Sunday school teacher asked you about something, no, I'm good. Ain't nothing going on. Bold-faced lies. But, but lastly, you need to come clean of all of your deception first. Some of us got some skeletons. We got some lies we've been living with for a long time. We got some, de we got some deceit that's been going on for years. And we've just been perpetuating the lie. Before you can be free from deceptions grip, you need to come clean of all of your deceptions first. Some pain is going to be had. Some trouble is going to come. But God promised that through the storm, through life, through the issues, through the hurt, through the ups, through the downs, I will be with you wherever you go. Come clean. Stop, stop letting the lie Stand on your back and beat you. Come clean of all of your deceit. I wanted to stop by five, but I got a sixth one. It's just a bonus. <laughs> Teach others to do the same. Reproduce what God is producing in you. Teach your children how to be truth tellers. Teach your children the word of God. Teach, teach your friends and family what it means to, to be a prayer warrior. Teach your, your, your co-workers that uh, they shouldn't be lying to the boss. Don't be culpable in that. Uh, reproduce in others what God is producing in you. Isn't that, isn't that our call? 
Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? Someone who is a learner from Christ. If, if he's calling us to make disciples, he's calling us to make other learners of Christ. Reproduce it. Open your mouth and say, Jesus has done this in my life and he can do the same thing in your life. Have you been deceived? Have you been deceiving others? I could easily just say, just tell the truth. But apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we can't tell just the truth. We don't have the power to overcome. But you know what, like, like kryptonite to Superman is truth to deceit. And Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is not marketing to us a form of truth. He's not giving us a way of truth. Jesus is bold enough, he's brash enough to actually say, I don't just know of a truth, I am the truth. If I want to conquer the seat's hold in my life, I need truth to show up. I need Jesus to show up in my life. One thing we didn't even touch in the text. The last verse said, the Gibeonites were with them to this day. Right? Their curse was to become woodcutters and water carriers for what? For the temple. God, in his divine mercy and in his grace, took some lying folk who didn't know what truth was and put them in the very house where truth lived. He, he put them in the temple to be temple workers. So as they, so they, they, they're being rehabilitated by the truth. As they load buckets of water, they, the holies of holies are over there. As they are cutting wood, the priests are coming in and offering sacrifices. I, I don't know about you, but I can't help but think that they will look over and see, who is this God that they serve? This God is awesome. This God is mighty. This God has all power. This God is a God of truth. He's not a God of deceit. So God took the Gibeonites and actually was teaching them what it means to be a truth teller, and that is those who are in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus says in John 8, 31 and 32 that Jesus, his word, his word is the truth. And guess what, y'all? No matter where you are, no matter what lie you've been in bondage to, in bondage to, Jesus says the truth will set you free. 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 Look to Jesus and live. He was crushed by the weight of deceit so that you could live. Jesus bore the deceit in order that as you put on Christ Jesus, you'll be free from that. and You will have life everlasting. Looks can be deceiving, just not when you're looking at Jesus. 1 John 1 says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Satan's greatest feat has been deceiving us into believing that we can live without dependence on God. 
The seed will test your belief system. Will you believe the lie or will you believe God? The seed is just that dangerous. Because the seed is so dangerous, you must intentionally seek God's direction to prevent being led astray. Let us pray.